Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. We are in this series on identity and we are discovering more of who we are. And we're going to deal with really tonight a, not a tough subject, but one that is very easy to get confused by. And that is we're going to deal with the concept of works, how we achieve certain works for God, but not find our identity in those works. Picture of my grandfather in the 1940s, they caught him while he was working in a paper mill. And so this is James T. Roberson Sr. And they were doing this uh, interview of him as he worked his way up the ladder. They take this picture of him. And then uh, in 1997, they have a picture of him here. This is when he was older. And, you know, to be quite honest with you, that's the life we want. We want a life where we're working and doing something, we're achieving, and then we grow old. All of a sudden, we look up, we have a family, and we've achieved great things. And this is a picture of me with my dad. And if you haven't seen this picture, then you haven't been to church in two months because I've been showing this <laughs> same picture again and again and again. All right, so, and, and to the far right um, is my great-grandfather, which I said, you know, he started the NAACP in his hometown. And my grandfather, he worked in the paper mill. He also ran a club. So get a grandfather that can do both. You know what I'm saying? So he, yeah, he ran, you know, did a club thing and worked in the paper mill. My dad got a PhD, so he was hardworking kind of guy, you know. And so I came up in a culture of hard work. That's all we knew. If, you know, shout out to immigrant families in here, a, 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 you know what I'm saying? You came up in cultures of hard work. Not to say nobody else did, but you know what I'm saying. Hard work. You probably came up in a family where hard work was expected. And there were two concepts that I heard every day. It is, you only get what you deserve and you reap what you sow. Now, I didn't even know that was a verse in the Bible, you reap what you sow. I just knew consequences. You make your bed, you lie in it. Get what you deserve. You've heard this. Hard work was the culture of my family, and it was the culture that many of us grew up in. And it's what your parents were determined to teach you, and it's what my parents were determined to teach me. Now, I played football, ended up playing college football, praise God. When I was young, right, I was playing in peewee football. Well, here I am in peewee football, and I say to myself, you know, I'm, I'm big and bad, going to play in this game. But the night before the game, Friday night, my mom says, wash the dishes. And I say, no problem, mom. I'm going to wash them before I go to bed. No problem. I'm going to go to bed later. Well, I fell asleep, right? Fell asleep. Wake up the next day. Come downstairs, equipment on. You know what I'm saying? Pads, helmet in hand, cleats in hand, coming down the steps. My dad turns into Showtime at the Apollo, Mr. Comedian, and he's just like, where are you going? I was like, I'm going to the game. He was like, what about them dishes? I was like, Dad, I, I fell asleep. I didn't get to the dishes. I'll do the dishes after the game. My dad said, no, you're not. You're going to wash them dishes right now. 
I said, Dad, I got to do, I got to go out there. They're, they're going to miss me. He says, you're going to tackle them dishes. I know that. Yeah. 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 And then, I, and then my dad said what many of our parents said. He said, Dad, come on now. I got to get to the game. I mean, I got to get there. And he said, if you wanted to be at the game, you should have thought of this last night. Didn't your parents say something like that? There's some rendition of that that would happen in your family and in your house. And so I got to the game in the fourth quarter. Horrible, horrible. I get to the game in the fourth quarter of the game. My friends are just like, what happened? And I'm just lying. I'm like, you know, there's stuff going on in my family. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we, going, we, going, we going through something. Next day, my friends find out about it. They find out I was in the fourth quarter of the game. I was at the game in the fourth quarter because I was washing the dishes. My friends, being friends, being humorous friends. They're like, yo, dog, um, I heard that uh, you got to the game late because you was on injured reserve. I was like, what you mean? They're like, we heard you had dishpan hands. Ah! I was like, that's not funny. My dad was determined to teach me a lesson. And you all have been taught some of those same lessons. You know, there's no free lunch. There's nothing you get for free. You got to work hard for it. And the fact of the matter is, if you are going to have a relationship with God, one of the hardest things to get in your mind and in your brain is that grace is free. That a relationship with God is a free gift. Anybody, any of you ask for your, you ask your parents for an allowance? Did you ask your parents? I asked my parents for an allowance. I don't have time to get into it, but it was drama, right? All types of drama. The parents weirded out. Why? Because my parents wanted to make one thing clear. Nothing in life is for free. Nothing is fair. You've heard that term. And all of a sudden, in you come into a relationship with God and you hear that grace is a free gift, that salvation comes by grace. The definition of grace, you could say, is grace is favor given to someone who doesn't deserve it. And that's how we come into a relationship with God. Not by earning and achieving but rather by receiving the grace of God and knowing him more by his grace. So there is two parts of this message that are the utmost importance. The first is, is that, uh, well, they're both in the, one and the same in the same sentence. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. Church, there is something God has for you to do that only you are called to do. And you are called to do it by his design. There's a customized work of the Holy Spirit that he has given you to do and only you to do. And he tells us that we are saved in order to do that great work, but we are not saved by works. He says in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourself, it's a God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. You've heard those phrases all your life. I got saved. I got saved when I was 12. I got saved. I got saved when I was 10. I got saved last week. Saved is a word we've heard so much in our culture. But saved is part of a doctrine of salvation. 
Salvation, if you use that term outside of doctrinal terminology, saved or salvation means to deliver. It means to protect. It means to be rescued. Deliverance from an impending danger. Save, therefore, could be meant that I was rescued from an eternal separation from God. I was rescued. The Bible said, we saw last week, Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in your transgressions and trespasses and sins, that we were separated from God. And what we talked about was, was that sins are not just actions we do, but it is actually a part of our heart. It is within our nature that we sin. So therefore, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners and we are cut off from God. And it is because we are in this state of having been heaped up in our sins that we are in need of rescue. Not just mere help from God, but rescue from God. Grace, therefore, is an awakening that you need God, that you need only God to do a work. And if it is grace, if you truly understand grace, then what you will experience is transformation in your life. You will know that God did all the work. That's grace. And if God does all the work, then it changes the relationship, totally. And that's what makes God a threat. Because if God is just helping you, he can come and go when you need help. But if he rescued you, then he changes your life. He transforms you. Grace is threatening. Grace is humbling. Grace is embarrassing. Grace, oh, it was all you? You get all the credit? It was none of me? Grace overwhelms your life. You go out with your friends. Y'all getting something to eat. You swipe your card. Declined. You tell your friends, it's the chip. The chip, my chip is tripping. The chip, it's just, I've been sliding it too much. Your friend says, I got you. How much is it? $15. I got you. You good, I got you. After you go, hey, I'll, I'll give you money later. They go, I got you. And you go, thank you. You my friend. Thank you. Right? And the next time you see him, you're like, yo, thank you. You helped our relationship. Thank you. Thank you. But if you couldn't pay $1,500 rent and your friend pays it for you and you have insufficient funds, that alters the state of your relationship. You know this is not just a little thing like I am indebted to you. Like that changes the way that I view you. $1,500, I can't pay that back for a minute. Grace. When it's truly grace, it's not just a little bit of help. It is true rescue. <laughs> I was, uh, we've had an interesting winter, amen? I mean, you know, when I first got here six years ago, I was used to winters. I just wasn't used to, you know, when the when the plow comes and you've parked your car and you're not used to it. And you know, you, in the morning, you, you had a car. You know what I'm saying? Then you 
basically see a glacier, right? Like there's all this snow on your car. You decide, I'm not going to go out there right now because, you know what I'm saying, I don't want to go out right now. So you wait overnight because you don't know what you're doing. And then you come out the next morning and it's frozen over your car. And you're just like, oh my gosh. I was walking back from the gym. And while walking back from the gym, I see this woman. She's about 5'2", maybe 130. And there she is with her shovel. Put in the snow. Now she's not making a dent. You know what I'm saying? I walk by and I'm like, hey, do you need help? And she did what we all do when we lie, when we say, I don't really want help, but you know you want help. She's like, no. And you're just like, yes, you, you need help. I'd like to help you. She's like, I couldn't. She's like, no, you need help. She's like, you sure? Why would you say you sure? I've said it three times. <laughs> you sure? Yeah, come on. So I come over to her. I got this. Yeah, so. The first, I was like, I don't even see the tire. Oh, my God. But, you know, I'm just like, I said I'd help. So here I go. Boom. I'm helping. Ugh, I'm helping. She's telling me she was, she was a principal in, the, in Bay Ridge. So we're having a conversation. Meanwhile, half hour goes by. I barely see the tire yet. I'm struggling. She knows I'm struggling. I know I'm struggling. We all know we're struggling. And she's just like, you need to stop. I'm like, no, ma'am, I really want to help you, okay? So here we go. Man, gosh, this is a struggle. Uh, barely see that tire. Ooh, here we go. Here we go. And she's just like, are you sure? I'm like, I'm sure I got you. She's like, I got to pay you something. I mean, what, what can I give you? I said, ma'am, I don't need anything. Hour goes by. At this point, I am clearly in the struggle bus. I see the tire. I don't see the second tire. I'm putting in all types of work. I thought about asking for money. But here I go. You know, I'm just like, oh, oh. So she's just like, he's clearly struggling, and I'm trying to act like I'm not, but I am. I'm just like, oh, man, whew, I'm getting this snow, and I'm putting in all this time. And then an hour and a half goes by. I can almost see the second tire. So I'm working through this glacier, and I'm just like, oh, I'm doing it, and I'm doing it. And after an hour and a half, and she's still stuck, she's like, stop, 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 stop. I am so sorry. You have been out here an hour and a half, and I know I'm wasting your time. I said, ma'am. You can't get this car out. I've got to do it for you. She says, no, 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 no. I, I've got to pay you. You've got, just leave. I said, ma'am, you're stuck. She says, no, just, just leave. I said, all right. And I left. You know why? Because she wanted to know that there was some kind of credit that she could get that she could say, oh, you know, we did it, or I helped him out, or in some way, there's no way I have to say that you did it all, but the truth is told. It would have shifted our relationship, and she would have been indebted to me. Every time she saw me on the train, I'd have been like, hey, she'd have been like, oh my God. There's the guy that rescued me. And the truth of the matter is many people don't want rescue, they want help from God. They don't want salvation. They want good tips. They want a good model. They want to see Jesus as this kind of moral hero, but they do not want salvation because it doesn't, it doesn't say so much about him. It says something about me. It says I couldn't shovel my way out of my life. I needed you to rescue me and get me out. That is why Jesus is dangerous. That's why a relationship with him is crushing because his grace is overwhelming and it reshifts everything. If you've tasted his grace, it changes everything. It changes everything. 
The minute you know that was grace, you, you can't be the same. You can't operate the same. You know it was him, all him, and your whole life points to him. You say, he rescued me. You don't walk around with your little shovel in life. You say, he dug me out. He got me out. He changed my life, and you give him all the credit. That's why he says, it's grace so that no man can boast. If you believe your life is working out because of you, then you don't understand grace. Grace, you just point to him. It was all him, and he gets all the credit. Grace. Amazing grace. It talks about our, our helplessness. It says that we are ultimately indebted to this creator God, and it was all him. And so the Bible shocks us into this relationship of understanding grace that it's not by works. And he says that you are saved by grace through faith. Faith, therefore, is a step towards God. You come into a realization that, oh, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Oh, God is good. God loves me. He's not just a boss and a judge, but he's a heavenly father. I want to get to know this God. And faith, it is by faith you then take a step towards God, to get to know God, to know him more. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, now without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who does what? Draws near to him, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That is faith. Faith is trusting. It is wanting a relationship with him and drawing into his presence and into that relationship. That is faith. And so you come into this encounter, into this awakening of who God is. And then you believe that he exists and you want to know him more and you draw closer in, to him in relationship. The story of the prodigal son, Luke 15. He says, Father, the son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Oh, I am such in a deep mess. I, I don't know how to get myself out of my mess of a life. Make me one of your hired workers. In other words, you can't treat me the same, God. I should be on the JV squad of a relationship with you. I don't want to be treated like a son. Treat me like a slave. He says in verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. He took a step towards his father because he wanted relationship with him. This is while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and he ran. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. The son was just an an eyesight of the father. And the father takes a look. He says, is that my son? Is he wanting, you want to come back to me? You want to turn from where you were and you want to draw near to me? Son, if you take a step, I'll run towards you. Son, if you look to me, I'm going to overwhelm you. Come, you come around and the son is there waiting with his excuses. I got to wash up. I got to clean myself up. I'm not who I want to be. And he just hugs him and puts his arm around his neck and just says, I love you. I just want you. I just want you. And that is what happens in a relationship with God. You, you, you realize the grace of God and you take a step of faith and you experience more of his grace. And then you realize more of faith in God and you take a step of faith and you continue to go with grace and faith and grace and faith. And before you know it, 
You've grown in your relationship with God. Tonight, some of you need to make a deeper commitment with the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to make a more declarative faith step with God. Some of you are afraid of born again talk. I don't want to be called a Christian and then I got to, people going to wonder who I voted for and all this. Oh my God. Oh my God. I don't want to get caught up in all that, right? I don't want all these expectations on me. Uh, I'm still trying to figure stuff out. Next week, we're having baptisms and that's a public declaration of your faith. But I want to encourage you that some of you just need to even make a private declaration tonight. That you just need to quiet the quietness of your heart to Jesus. I trust you. I don't, I don't know who I'm going to become. I don't know who I'll be. Just, I trust you. And, and it is in that small window that God will rush in with his grace for your life. But you've got to take a step towards him. And you've got to continue to take progressive steps of faith in getting to know God and experiencing the grace and the goodness and the joy and the beauty of God. And he puts his arms around you and pulls you close and you experience more of him. That is a relationship with God. It is by faith. And it is taking steps. Tonight, Faith is the beginning of the journey and faith is the continuance of the journey and it leads then in verse 10 to understand that when he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do, we understand that those works that God has for us, they too are another step of faith that we come into a relationship with God by faith, and then we do great things for God and good works for God through faith as well, by trusting in God. We therefore begin our relationship with God by faith. We continue our relationship with God by faith. And he says, here's what you need to understand. God has said we are in his inheritance early. He says, we are adopted, he said. But now he says, we are his workmanship. And the word workmanship is the Greek word poemi, poema. It means poetry or masterpiece. We are God's artistry that he puts on display for the world. And he says we are his workmanship and he's got a work that he's prepared for us to do. And the work that God is talking about is not just a job. It's not just some kind of step up the corporate ladder. The work that he's talking about here does not come through a resume. It comes through divine enablement. There is a customized work of the Holy Spirit that he's called you to do and only you can do and will do. Nobody can do what you can do. God designed you differently. He made you different. He made you special in the way that he has a unique, special work for you to do. There is comfort that only you will bring certain people. There is joy that you can bring into the room. There is insight that only you have. There is a background that only you have. There are things that only you will do and he's made for you, but it will not come through skill and training. It will come through submission and obedience. 
see, you, you, you get the relationship with God by grace, and then, and then we want to do works. But it's the same way, grace, faith, grace, faith, grace, faith. You experience more of him. And we live in a world where identity is constructed by what you do. We live in a world where identity is constructed by who we say we are, by our vocation. And so we live with this mixed idea that calling and vocation are the same thing. Someone lied to us and told us, find your passion and get paid for it. What? You think my granddaddy was passionate about that thing? Listen, oh man, I love, I just love working in this paper mill. He wasn't passionate about that. He was passionate about the club, and that's what he started, praise God. <laughs> Who told you that? That's not second hesitations. That's not in the Bible, okay? That somehow you have to find this thing that all of a sudden I'm just going to get paid because I'm going to be happy at work all day. I'm just happy. Boy, I, just, I woke up. Woo! This is amazing. I love my job. And then I'm just, and I'm just floating in money. And all. Who told you that? Some of you feel unfit for this life because you haven't found this magical job that makes you happy every day. I'm so glad my granddaddy and my daddy weren't looking for that because they weren't happy. They were trying to provide food for a family. You think farmers, you think they were farmers? They were just like, yo, this corn is like lit. Yo, I love this. <laughs> that is our generation. Our generation struggles with that. Our generation comes from this presumption that work is defining for identity. And we, were, and we are at the altar. We are at the altar of our deaths trying to worship our work God to find our identity. And we have been told that a, a paycheck is a purpose, and it is not. That there is so much more, a higher calling for our lives. And it starts out with knowing that you are God's art. You are his artistry. And artistry is an indication of the artist. You stare at art and you say, who made this? Where did they come from? And that tells you that if we are his workmanship, then we are beautiful. That he sat there and just worked worked, designed and made and shaped and crafted. Mm, no, not yet. Mm, wait, wait, uh, a little bit. Uh, uh, uh. And he put you together. What did you really choose? Did you choose your family? Did you choose ethnicity? Did you choose any of that? No, you are his workmanship. Did you choose your personality? Did you choose? You didn't choose any of those. You are his workmanship. You didn't choose your grandfather. You are his workmanship. You didn't choose all the issues you were brought up in. You are his workmanship. God crafted you in a season of life. He crafted you in ethnicity. He crafted you in a location because you did not choose you. He chose you. You are his workmanship. He shaped you and crafted you. You see? And so we have to, if you want to understand the watch, you check in with the watchmaker. You must understand design. And so that's why we want to understand our creator God. It's grace and it's faith. But you know, if you know artists, if you know any artist, if you know any artist, they are exacting. They don't, they don't let it out. They don't release the song till it's right. They don't put the art out there till it's just right. 
And here's what he says in the ESV. It, it, it renders this way. It says, God prepared a work for us to do that we should walk in them. That he has the, the word beforehand, it essentially means like a forerunner, someone who is like John the Baptist preparing the way, getting things out the way so that that king or queen could walk through. And that is what God is removing certain barriers and obstacles that you could walk through it. But he's prepared that work, but he's also preparing you for that work. And what is his workmanship? It is crafting and designing you with a certain personality and a background and all those skills, but he is still working on you now. He's still working on you. And the problem with our culture is that we do not want God to work on us. We want God to put us on display. We are so hungry to be put on display. And part of that is that because the culture tells us that visibility equals significance. And you scroll through and you scroll through and you scroll through, you're like, they're amazing, they're amazing, they're amazing. They're 25? Oh my gosh, I'm 25, my life means nothing. They're amazing, they're amazing, they're amazing, they're amazing, they're amazing. They started that when they were 10? Oh my gosh, they're amazing, I'm horrible. They're amazing, they're amazing. And you do that, do you not think that's working on you? As if you could watch pornography and just sit there and be like, hmm, interesting, bodies, no. In the same way, for some of you, your timeline is as destructive as pornography because you, you know you're not lusting after sex, but you're lusting after identity. And you're open to so many things. I know people... Again, I know people. Again, I know people. I'm not going to call anybody out, but I know people. Do you know people that have like 50,000 tabs open on their computer, like 50,000? These multiple tab people, these tabaholics, do you know these people? Do you know these people? You know of them. You know them. They're, they're somewhere in here. Amen? Amen? I know one, but I don't want to call them out. I might have three kids with them, but that's another conversation. <laughs> Now, what happens? What happens? You woke up that morning, <clears throat> you opened up Bible something, right? Or, you know, on your computer, and, and all of a sudden, you're just like, yeah, and I want to just write something. You're just like, oh, I want to check Facebook. Oh, I want to check Twitter. Oh, I want to check Instagram. Oh, I got this work assignment. Oh, I got to look at this up. Oh, my gosh. And it's like, oh, I need to check this, too, and I need to go over here. And all of a sudden, your day is just opened up to so many things. Meanwhile, the Bible, you know, is still open, but you're open with a lot of things. And that's what people tell me. It's like, I'm open to what God says. It's like, yeah, you're open to what God says. You're also open to a lot of things. You have multiple voices. You don't have a singular voice. You have a chorus teaching you and telling you who you are. And you, what we need is for God to drown out all the voices and hear his voice, his still voice, as we begin to work and do what he's calling us to do. God is drawing you deeper into relationship. Yes. And yes, you want to do something great, don't you? Yeah, you want, to, you want to do something powerful. And that's good. That's good. But I'm going to tell you right now, when I was like 23, I met this guy. He sat me down. He said, James, 
when you're in your 20s, it's all about getting experiences. 30s, all about learning. 40s, that's when you start coaching others. But 50s, that's when you get a voice. Now, I said this in the last four o'clock. People were like, ha ha, that's funny. 50s, yeah, I was halfway dead. And I was like, that wasn't a joke. Like, they really told me I should wait to my 50s before I should really think about having a voice. So that gave me a window of patience and time and to allow God to work on me. And this is our problem. It's not just Instagram, it's insta-success. We want success so fast. We believe speed means favor, and it does not. We are so addicted to speed, and we are more, we are more hungry for speed than development, I'm telling you. I see people just so hungry to be doing. I got to do now. I got to be now. I got to be in my thing now. I got to go now. Why now? Who told you that? Who told you you had to do something now? Don't you want to be on time? I don't want to be late. I don't want to be early too. You ever been to something early and you'd be like, this is whack, right? This is... I want to be on time. I married an on-time person. It's fascinating. Your life changes. When you were a late person, you marry an on-time person. We got to be there at 9, 8, like 7.30. They're like, oh my gosh. It's time. I'm like, I thought we got to be there at 9. I'm like, we got to get ready. We got to go. We got to go. We got to move. Things are changing. Things are moving. We don't know what's going to happen. We got to go. I'm just like, we got time. They're like, no, we don't. We got to go. We got to go. We got to move. We got to go. And what I learned was I'm still a late person, but I'm married to an on-time person. And as long as I follow her, I'll be on time. And for you, you're so addicted to moving fast. If you would follow God, the on-time God, because God is not fast and he's not slow, he's on time. And so because of that, if you would follow God, if you would follow his voice, if you would hear his still voice every day, he is on time. The world may tell you you're late, but you can be on God's time. God's time. 1 Samuel 16 and 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees. Look at that. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Do you know what that means? That means that you are coveting often being like people that you have accepted, but God has rejected because you are looking at their appearance, but God is looking at their heart and you can't see the heart. It says man looks on the outside because you have to. You have to see stature. You have to see status. You have to see likes because you have to see that. But there are people, I am telling you, that they get all all the likes in the world, but they don't want to be like God. I'm telling you, there are people like that. And I'm telling you that you have to fix your eyes on Jesus. God is interested in your heart. God wants to fill your heart. God wants you to be ready for that space, that work he's prepared for you. He wants you to be ready. He wants you to be ready. He doesn't want you to be early. And that's what our culture says. Be early, be young, be successful. Young and successful. They're young and successful. They're young and successful. They're young and successful. Young and successful. That's there, but they were young and successful. It's like, why do those two things become magical? And, and so we, we feel this tension. Do you know when this story happened? When David was anointed, he was 17. 
2 Samuel tells us that he was not appointed till he was 30. That means for 13 years, he knew God was calling him to something greater, but he still, you know what he did? You know what he did after they called him? This is crazy. After they called him in, say, hey, stop tending them sheep. God's going to bless you and you're going to be a king. He was like, oh man, this is dope. And they anoint him and it's amazing. He's like, all right, what I should do now? And they're like, go back to the sheep. But I'm amazing. Go back to the sheep because you're anointed to be a king, but you're still appointed to be a shepherd right now. Go back to the sheep. Can you be with sheep or do you need a palace right now? Can you be with the sheep? Can you clean up? I know you're special. I know they told you you're special. I know you feel special, but can you be with the sheep? See, God wanted him to be with sheep and do that groundwork do that dirty work. Are you, are you just, are you a helpful person? Amen. Are you kind? I know. Are you, I know you're gifted, but are you kind? I know you have a large voice. Do you have a loving heart? Do you have a loving heart? Because that's what God is looking at. Do you know everybody can be applauding you? But God, you could be breaking God's heart because he cares about your inner motivations. He cares about what you're thinking on the inside. He cares about how you feel about people. Could it be that God is, this imagery of workmanship is God is working on your heart. He's trying to get your heart ready. Because if you are going to do something great for God, it will be a war of your heart. Because the greatest, the greatest picture of serving God isn't a platform. It isn't a platform. It's loving people. I know pastors who love crowds, but they hate people. Yeah. God's got a word for you. God's going to bless you. God's going to bless you. They come off this stage and like, I ain't got time for this. I can't stand them people. And they, all they do is talk. They talk about people 90% of the time, and then they preach. I'm just like, don't you love them? Are we called to love? And this, this voice of God, he's preparing you. Do you see that that's a promise? That God is going to prepare you for a work. God is getting your heart ready. God is getting you ready for criticism. He's getting ready for you for, for pushback. He's getting ready for, for, for courage and perseverance. And he's getting your heart ready for all that. Because you got to know who you are in Christ if you're going to do something great. You got to know who you are. You got to know his voice. You got to be able to listen to his voice and know it deeply that you drink in the voice of God so much that you can even take a rebuke from man and say, okay, well then let me work on my heart because it's not about my outward performance. It's about my inner heart. You could drink it in. It's not too tough for you. You could take what man says. Years ago, I was preaching, and there was, a, there was a guy that I was in this teaching team, and dude got up there. I mean, he preached a sermon that, man, people were, like, levitating after. It was amazing, man. People were just like, oh, he's amazing. He's amazing. Oh, my God, he's amazing. And, you know, I, I was, I, we didn't like each other, right? 
Um, and so, but I did my pretend thing. I'm like, yes, yes, amen, amen. Oh my gosh, that was awesome. You know, just did that whole thing, right? And then after, I just had to be honest with him. I was like, yo, bro, that was amazing. God just, whew, that was fire from heaven. It was awesome. Next week, I get up there, I preach a sermon. We talk about bad. It was like shrapnel was everywhere. I mean, I was... It's like I sedated the crowd. Everybody was asleep, you know. And there's this point in a message when it was going bad where people start coughing, like, <clears throat> babies start crying. You're just like, people start getting up. It's like, I'm thirsty. You know, it's just like it's going really bad. And you're just like, oh, God, make it stop. So then after we sit down, he's critiquing it. He's, this, this is what he said. And I really don't, still to this day, I'm really not sure if it was me, but if it was our relationship or whatever. But he said, man, that really didn't go well. And I really don't think God's calling you to preach. I really think God, I think you're probably a small group leader. But I, I definitely don't think God is calling you to preach in a church. <laughs> True story. I was, I was about 20, I was about 20, 23 years old. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. And I remember sitting there like, wow. All right. All right. And man, that thing hurt. And I went and I called my mom. I was like, mom. I think I'm gonna, I think I'm just gonna do something different than ministry. She was like, oh, you don't wanna do ministry anymore? I was like, I, I do, but you know, my friends are telling me, you know, that I, I'm, not, I'm not called to preach. She was like, oh, I, I thought you were. I was like, I, <laughs> I thought I was too, but they're, they're saying I'm not. She was like, oh, what the Lord say? Anybody got a mama like that? She's like, what the, what the Lord say? And I was like, I don't know what the Lord said. And she was like, well, baby, it don't matter. If they got you sweeping, or just, just keep serving the Lord. Listen, just keep serving the Lord. He'll put you where you need to be. He'll put you where you need to be. Now, he took someone where they told me, never preach again. This is my full-time gig, y'all. I travel and do this thing for some reason. People want to hear me say stupid stuff. <laughs> so here's what I want to encourage you with this. We have a Tupac spirit in our culture, all eyes on me, right? And we want everyone to see us. We live in a narcissistic culture. And part of the problem is instant, instant, instant work, instant, instant. I have to see it. I came up in a culture, amen, of 35 millimeter pictures. Come on now. Some of y'all remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You take that 35 millimeter, amen. You know what you did with that? You brought it to CVS. You brought it to Walgreens. Your mama put stuff in there. The baby was two. She's 12 now. I see. I haven't seen those pictures in years, right? And it's just, and you just pray to God, like, Lord, I pray I didn't take a bad picture. And you finally get the pictures months later, eons later, because you had to wait for it to be developed. You had to put it in all these different chemicals, all these nine different chemicals in order for it to be developed. And the number one thing you had to make sure, listen, church, listen, the number one thing you had to make sure was you put it in a dark room because light wouldn't create overexposure. The one thing you didn't want was to put it in the light because you were still working on it. The photographer took a picture, 
But it would take time for that picture to be developed in the dark. And right now, church, I'm telling you, you want the light on you. You want the light on you. But what God is preparing is God is preparing you so that the light that is on you is not greater than the light that is in you. He does not want you to be overexposed. And so this is what I'm trying to tell you right now. Some of you are like, I need to be discovered. I need to be discovered. One day I'm going to be discovered. One day I'm going to be discovered. Someone's going to see me. I'm going to be discovered. I'm going to just be walking down there. I'm going to go viral. I'm going to be discovered. I'm going to be discovered. Listen, stop trying to be discovered and start worrying about being developed. Start being committed to your personal growth. Not being discovered because the same God that delivered you is the one that doesn't need to discover you. He's the one that wants to develop you. Don't worry about all that. Let God work on you in the dark room. Let God work on you in the dark room. Let God work on your character and your heart. And then, listen, he wants to put you on display more than you want for yourself because you are not your workmanship. You are his workmanship. Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you, God, for your grace in our lives. It's grace that saved us. It's grace that'll lead us home. It's grace, it's grace. It's all grace, it's all grace. It is by your grace, God, we grow. It is by your grace, God, we develop. It's by your grace, God, we even have faith. So now, tonight, Lord, we ask, we ask you, Holy Spirit, draw us closer to you by your grace. In Jesus' name. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.